Welcome to my podcast. This is Modern Audiobooks-ish. The Book of Lost Things by John Connolly. Chapter 2 of Rose and Dr. Moberly and the Importance of Details. It was a strange thing, but shortly after his mother died, David remembered experiencing a sense of almost relief. There was no other word for it, and it made David feel bad about himself. His mother was gone, and she was never coming back. It didn't matter what the priest said in this sermon, that David's mother was now in a better, happier place, and the pain was at an end. It didn't help when he told David that his mother would always be with him, even if he couldn't see her. An unseen mother couldn't go for long walks with you on summer evenings, drawing the names of trees and flowers from her seemingly infinite knowledge of nature, or help you with homework, the familiar sense of her in your nostrils as she leaned in to correct a misspelling or puzzle over the meaning of an unfamiliar poem, or read with you on cold Sunday afternoons when the fire was burning and the rain was beating down upon the roofs and the on the windows and the roof in the room was filled with the smell of wood smoke and carpets. But then David recalled that in those final months his mother had not been able to do any of those things. The drugs that the doctor gave her made her groggy and ill. She couldn't concentrate, not even on the simplest of tasks, and she certainly couldn't go for long walks. Sometimes towards the end, David was not even sure that she knew who he was anymore. She started to smell funny, not bad, just odd, like old clothes that hadn't been worn in a very long time. During the night, she would cry out in pain, and David's father would hold her and try to comfort her. When she was very sick, the doctor would be called. Eventually, she was too ill to stay in her own room. An ambulance came and took her to a hospital that wasn't quite a hospital, because nobody ever seemed to get well, and nobody ever went home again. Instead, they just got quieter and quieter, unless there was only total silence and empty beds where they used to lie. The not-quite-hospital was a long way from their house, but David's dad visited every other evening after he returned from work, returned home from work, and he and David had eaten their dinner together. David went with him on their old Ford 8 at least twice a week. Even though the journey back and forth left him with very little time for himself once he completed his homework and eaten his dinner. It made his father tired too, and David wondered how he found the energy to get up every morning, make breakfast for David, see him off to school before heading to work, come home, make tea, help David with any schoolwork that was proving difficult, visit David's mother again, return home again, kiss David goodnight, and then read the paper for an hour before taking himself off to bed. Once David had woken up in the night, Start very dry and then gone downstairs for a fetch of water. He heard snoring in the sitting room and looked in to find his father asleep in his armchair, the paper falling around him and his head hanging unsupported over the edge of the chair. It was three o'clock in the morning. David hasn't been sure what to do, but in the end he woke his father up because he remembered how he himself had once fallen asleep awkwardly in a train on a long journey and his neck had hurt for days afterwards. His father had looked a little surprised and just slightly angry at being woken up. But he roused himself from the chair, gone upstairs to sleep. Still, David was sure that it wasn't the first time he'd fallen asleep like that, fully clothed and no one in his bed. So when David's mother died, it meant that there was no more pain for her, but also no more long journeys to and from the big yellow building where people faded away to nothing. No more sleeping in chairs, no more brush dinners. And so, instead, there was only the kind of silence that comes when someone takes away a clock to be repaired. And after a time, you become aware of its absence because it's gentle. Reassuring tick is gone, and you missed it so. But the feeling of relief went away after only a few days, and then David felt guilty for being glad that they no longer had to do all the things that his mother's illness had required of them. And in the months that followed, the guilt did not disappear, and instead it got worse and worse, 
and David began to wish that his mother was still in the hospital. If she had been there, he would have visited her every day, even if it meant getting up earlier in the mornings to finish his homework, because now he couldn't bear to think of a life without her. School became more difficult for him. He, he drifted away from his friends, even before summer came and its warm breezes scattered them like dandelion seeds. There was talk that all the boys would be evacuated from London and sent to the countryside when school resumed in September. But David's father had promised him he would not be sent away. After all, his father said, it was just the two of them now. They had to stick together. His father employed a lady, Miss Howard, to keep the house clean and do a little cooking and ironing. She was usually there when David came home from school, but Mrs. Howard was too busy to talk to him. She was training with the ARP, the Air Raid Precautions Wardens, as well as taking care of her own husband and children, so she didn't have time to chat with David or ask him how his day had been. Miss Howard would leave just after 4 o'clock, and David, David's father would not return from work at the university until 6 at the earliest, and sometimes even later than that. This meant that David was stuck in the empty house with only the wireless and his books for company. Sometimes he would sit in the bedroom that his father and mother had once shared. Her clothes were still in one of the wardrobes, the dresses and skirts lined up in such neat rows that they almost looked like people themselves. If you squeeze it hard enough, David would run his fingers along them and make them swish, remembering as he did so that they had moved in just that way when his mother walked in them. Then he would lie back on the pillow to the left, for that was the side on which his mother used to sleep, and try to rest his head against the same spots on which she had once rested her head. The place obvious from the dark stain on the pillowcase. This new world was too painful to cope. He had tried so hard. He had kept to his routines. He had counted so carefully. He had abided by the rules, but life had cheated. This world was not like the world of his stories. and that world, good was rewarded and evil was punished. If he kept to the path and stayed out of the forest, then you would be safe. If someone was sick, like all the old king in one of the tales, then the sun could be sent out to the woods to the world to seek the remedy, the water of life. If just one of them was brave enough and true enough, then the king's life should be saved. David's mother had been brave. He had been braver still. In the end, bravery had not been enough. This was a world that did not reward it. The more David thought about it, the more he did not like the be part of such a world. He still kept to his routines, although not quite as rigidly as he once did. It was content merely to touch the no doorknobs and tap twice, left hand first, then right, just to keep the numbers even. He still tried to put his left foot down first in the mornings, or on the stairs of the house, but that wasn't so difficult. He wasn't sure what would happen now if he didn't adhere to the rules by some degree. He supposed that it might affect his father. Perhaps in sticking to his routines, he had saved his father's life, even if he hadn't quite managed to save his mother. Now there was just the two of them, it was important not. Chances. And that was when Rose entered his life, and the attacks began. The first time was in Tra Trafalgar Square, where he and his father were walking down to feed the pigeons after Sunday lunch at the popular cafe in Piccadilly. His father said that the popular was due to close soon, which made David sad as he thought it was very grand. David's mother had been dead for five months, three weeks, and four days. A woman had joined them to the popular that day. His father had introduced her to David as Rose. Rose was very thin, with long, dark hair and bright red lips. Her clothes looked expensive, and gold and diamonds glittered at her ears and throat. She claimed to eat very little, although she finished most of a chicken that afternoon and had plenty of room for pudding afterwards. She looked familiar to David, 
and emerged to her that she emerged that she was the administrator of the not quite hospital in which his mother had died. His father had told David that Rose had looked after his mother really, really well, although not, David thought, well enough to keep her from dying. Rose tried to speak with David about school and his friends and what he'd like to do with his evenings, but David could barely, ba barely manage to respond. He didn't like the way that she looked at his father or the way that she called him by his first name. He didn't like the way that she touched his hand when he said something funny or clever. He didn't even like the fact that his father was trying to be funny or clever with her to begin with. It wasn't right. Rose hid onto his father's arm as they strolled from the restaurant. David had walked a little ahead of them and they seemed content to let him go. He wasn't sure what was happening, or, the, or that what he, or that was what he told himself. He, in, he instead he silently accepted the bag of seeds from his father when they reached Trafalgar Square, and he used them to draw the pigeons to him. The pigeons bobbed obediently towards the soup sauce and new food, their feathers stained with the muck and soot of the city, their eyes vacant and stupid. His father stood nearby, talking quietly to each other. When they thought he wasn't looking, David saw them kiss briefly. That was when it happened. One moment David's arm was outstretched, a thin line of seeds spread along it in two rather heavy pigeons pecking away at his sleeve, and the next he was lying flat on the ground, his father's coat beneath his head and curious onlookers, and the odd pigeon, staring down at him, fat clouds scudding behind their head like blank thought balloons. His father told him that he had fainted, and David supposed that he must have been right, except now there were voices and whispers in his head where no whispers and voices had been before. He had a faded memory of a wooden wooded landscape and the howling of wolves. He heard Rose ask if she could do anything to help, and David's father told her that it was alright, that he would take him home and put him to bed. His father hailed a cab to bring them back to their car. Before he left, he told Rose that he would telephone her later. That night, as David lay in his room, the whispers in his head were joined by the sounds of the books. He had put his pillow over his ears to drown out the noise of their chatter, as the oldest of stories roused themselves from their night slumbers and began to look for places in which to grow. Dr. Moberly's office was in a terraced house on a, on a tree-lined street in the center of London, and it was very quiet. There were expensive carpets on the floors, and the walls were decorated with pictures of ships at sea. An elderly secretary with very white hair sat behind a desk in the waiting room, shuffling papers, typing letters, and taking phone calls. Davis sat on a big sofa nearby, his father beside him, a grandfather clock, ticked in the corner. David and his father didn't speak. Mostly it was because the room was so quiet that anything they said would have been overheard by the lady behind the desk, but also, David also felt that his father was angry with him. There were two more attacks since Trafalgar Square, each one longer than the last, each leaving David with more strange images in his head. A castle with banners fluttering from walls, a forest filled with trees that bled redly from their bark, and a half-glimpsed figure, hunched and wretched, who moved through the shadows of the strange world, waiting. David's father had, been t had taken him to seeing the Fairly doctor, Dr. Benson, but Dr. Benson had been unable to find anything wrong with David. He sent David to a specialist at a big hospital, who shone lights in David's eyes and examined his skull. He asked David some questions, then again, then asked David's father many more, some of them concerning David's mother and her death. David had been told to wait outside while they talked, and when David's father came out, he looked angry. That's how they ended up at Dr. Moberly's office. Dr. Moberly was a psychiatrist. A buzzer sounded behind the secretary's desk. She nodded to David and his father. You can go in now, she said. Off you go, said David's father. Aren't you coming in with me? asked David. David's father shook his head, and David knew that he had already spoken with Dr. Moberly, oh, perhaps over the telephone. He wants to see you alone, 
Don't worry. I'll be here when you're finished. David followed the secretary into another room. It was much bigger and grander than the waiting room, furnished with soft chairs and couches. The walls were lined with books, although they were not books like the ones David read. David thought that he could hear the books talking among themselves when he arrived. He couldn't understand most of what they were saying, but they spoke very slowly, as if what they had to impart was very important, or the person to whom they were speaking was very stupid. Some of the books appeared to be arguing among themselves in blah 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 tones, the way experts sometimes talk on the wireless when they were addressing one another, surrounding, surrounded by other experts whom they were trying to impress with their intelligence. The books made David very uneasy. A small man with grey hair and a grey beard sat behind an antique desk that looked too big for him. He wore rectangular glasses with a gold shade to keep him from losing them. A red and black bow tie was not the tightly at his neck, and his suit was dark and bent. Welcome, he said. I'm Dr. Moberly. You must be David. David nodded. Dr. Moberly asked David to sit down and then flicked through the pages of a notebook on his desk, tugging on his beard while he read whatever was written on them. When he had finished, he looked up and asked how David was. David said he was fine. Dr. Moberly asked him if he was sure. David said that he was reasonably sure. Dr. Moberly said David's dad was worried about him. He asked David if he missed his mom. David didn't answer. Dr. Moberly gave David, told David that he was worried about David's attacks, and they were going to try to find out what was behind them. Dr. Moberly gave David a box of pencils and asked him to draw a picture of a house. David took a lead pencil and carefully drew the walls and the chimney, then put in some windows and a door before he set to work, adding little curved slates to the roof. He was quite lost in the act of drawing slates when Dr. Mobley told him that was quite enough. Dr. Mobley looked at the picture and then looked at David. Yes, David, if he hadn't thought of using colored pencils. David told him that the drawing wasn't finished, and that once the tiles were added to the roof, he planned to color them red. Dr. Mobley asked David, in the very slow way that some of his books spoke, why the slates were important. David wondered if Dr. Mobley was a real doctor. Doctors were supposed to be very clever. Dr. Mobley didn't seem very clever. Very slowly, David explained that without the slates on the roof, the rain would get in, and their way, they were just as important as the walls. Dr. Mobley asked David if he was afraid of, getting, of the rain getting in. David told him that he didn't like getting wet. It wasn't so bad outside, especially if you were dressed for it. Most people don't dress for rain indoors. Dr. Mobley looked a bit confused. Next, he asked David to draw a tree. Again, David took the pencil, painstakingly drew the branches, then proceeded to add little leaves to each one. He was only on the third branch when Dr. Mobley asked him to stop again. This time, Dr. Mobley had the kind of expression on his face that his father sometimes had when he managed to finish the crossword on the Sunday paper. Shorting and short of standing up and shouting, Aha! with his finger pointing in the air, the way mad scientists did in cartoons, Econ looked more pleased with himself. Dr. Mobley then asked David all the questions about his home, his mum, and his dad. He asked again about the blackouts and if David could remember anything about them. How did he feel before they happened? Did he smell anything strange before he lost consciousness? Did his head hurt afterward? Did his head hurt before? Did his head hurt now? But he not, did not ask the most important question of all in David's view. Because Dr. Morverly chose to believe the attacks caused David to black out entirely, and that the boy could remember nothing of them before he regained consciousness. That wasn't true. David thought about telling Dr. Morverly of the strange landscapes that he saw when the attacks came, but Dr. Morverly already begun asking questions about his mother again, and David didn't want to talk about his mother. Not anymore, and certainly not with a stranger. 
Dr. Moverly asked about Rose, too, and David, how David felt about it. David didn't know how to answer. He didn't like Rose, and he didn't like his father being with her. But he didn't want to tell Dr. Moberly that in the case he told his father about it. By the end of the session, David was crying, and he didn't even know why. In fact, he was crying so hard that his nose began to bleed, and, and the sight of blood frightened him. He started to scream and shout. He fell on the floor, and a white light flashed in his head as he began to tremble. He beat his fists on the carpet and heard the books tutting their disapproval as Dr. Mowgli called for help, and David's dad came rushing in, and then everything went dark for what seemed like only seconds. It was, in fact, a very long time indeed. And David heard a mother's, a woman's voice in the darkness, and he thought it sounded like his mother. A figure approached, but it was not a woman. It was a man, a crooked man with a long face, emerging for a last from those shadows of his world, and he was smiling. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Tune in next time as I read Chapter 3 of The New House, The New Child, and The New King.